let's get serious. Uh, grab your Bibles, uh, go to Romans chapter 4. And uh, the title of the message tonight is basically, Are You Good Enough for Heaven? And tonight we're going to ask Abraham about, are, Is Anyone Good Enough to Get to Heaven? And uh, we gave a little hint. The answer is no. <laughs> That's the hint for the night. Uh, so we're going to look at this. Now, this is a heavy-duty, Romans is heavy-duty doctrine. The passage that we're looking at, in essence, is a very simple concept, but it really has a depthy, depthy meaning. And when we look at, uh, and we just talked about Union Grove, some four or 5,000 people live within walking distance almost of our church. And the majority of folks, if you go through Union Grove, you'll find multiple churches that, uh, if you will, are major denominational type churches. And you say, well, what's the difference between Union Grove Baptist Church and a denominational church? And some people think Union Grove Baptist is a denomination. Well, it's not a denomination. The word Baptist is on the door, but we are an independent church. We are under no one else's rule, so to speak, except God himself. So uh, when I'm talking about denominational churches, what's the difference between, if you will, them and uh, Union Grove Baptist? Well, there's, there's, it, it just comes down to one simple thing. Um, every single word in this book we agree on, we attempt to hold to, we don't, we don't go to liturgy, we don't go to hymn books to get our doctrine, we go 100% to the Bible. The other major thing is what we're going to be discussing tonight is how does one get to heaven? That, that's really the operative thing. It's like, well, we talk about that every single week. Well, we need to talk about it every single week. Uh, there's tons of different things that we get into. There's many 12 major doctrines in Scripture, which we uh, cover a little bit here, a little bit there. There's 66 books of the Bible, but everything comes down to one thing. In Genesis chapter 3, three chapters into the Bible, what takes place? We have the creation of Adam and Eve in uh, Genesis 1 and 2. The next thing we know, third chapter of a Bible, 66 different books, 31,000 plus verses. In chapter 3 of Genesis, what's the thing that happens? It's the fall of mankind. Adam and Eve sinned, sin enters into the world. Ever since Genesis chapter 3, God's desire, his plan, is to provide redemption for humanity. Every single person that comes in this world, we talk about it all the time, is born a sinner. You can't escape it. When Adam sinned, sin is transferred by daddy to their children. You say, well, what, what's mom have to do with it? Well, it's, again, it, it falls on Adam. God made it very clear that sin is transferred through the dad. The dad. Bible says, Romans 5, 12, wherefore is by one man... Adam, sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men and women uh, because we've all sinned. We have the sin gene. So when we go to Romans chapter 4, again, it sounds to us who constantly are talking about the grace of God, about faith in Christ, and we do that every single week here because every single week we have visitors. Every single week there are individuals here, especially Sunday morning, uh, that are not 100% sure if they died, they'd go to heaven. So it's a very, very important subject. But let me get you thinking a little bit. How do you gain the approval of those in authority? 
So uh, uh, if you uh, work and you have a boss, how do you gain the authority of, or the authority, the approval of your boss? Well, it's uh, I do my best. I, I pour myself into my work. I'm, I'm loyal to the company. I get my work done. And how do you really gain the approval of the boss? It's by what you do, right? I mean, it, it's your performance that gives you in a right standing with your boss. How about those of you that uh, are in, uh, have clients? Maybe you have your own business, or maybe you're a salesperson, and uh, you go out and you sell your or whatever your product happens to be. And, and how do they buy into you? How do you gain their acceptance? Well, you show them what you do. You, you show them your performance. You show them how your product is going to help them, and it's basically by your work. Young people, uh, you're in school, and uh, how do you please your teacher? Well, you say, well, I don't uh, throw spitballs at her or him, and that, that helps. That will help. Uh, but how do you gain the, the approval of uh, uh, your teachers, those in authority? Uh, you do good work. You sit still. You behave. And it's basically by how you behave and what you do that you gain their uh, approval. How about for your parents? How do you get mom and dad's approval? Well, again, you behave, you do what they ask, you, you perform well, and you got mom and dad's approval. And now we go to the anomaly of the group. How do you get God's acceptance? Well, here's what most, unfortunately, called churches will teach their people. I'll tell you what, uh, how did you live today? How did you treat other people? You know, if you're good enough and you're good, and, and by the way, for those watching this, this is not the gospel. <laughs> How do you get right standing with God? Well, you work hard. You do your best. You're kind to people. You, go, you, you uh, do social works. You're, you beef, uh, have a philanthropic mind. You give money away. You support your church. You do all these different things, and uh, all of a sudden, it all becomes about what? It's all about works. Folks, Every single religion in Christianity, we don't like to use the word religion. Every single religion is how to get into right standing with God through human effort. That's what religion is. Romans chapter 4 tells us it's not about what you do, it's about what Jesus did. Now, folks, that is the major, major difference between a church like Union Grove Baptist and other churches that hold to a biblical stance and all the other massive amount of churches and religions in the world. Every single religion outside of Christianity teaches you're saved by how good you are. That's a lie. It's a satanic lie. And it's one that has sent over the Years, the 6,000 years of history, millions of people to a Christless eternity having accepted that if I try my best, maybe God will take me to heaven. Well, folks, that's not the Bible. And uh, you say, well, why are we stressing this again here? Well, because God does. And in Romans, he's constantly pushing the concept, not saved by works, saved by faith, saved by grace, grace saved by your faith in who Jesus Christ is. So tonight we're going to examine the absolute biblical necessity of receiving eternal life through faith alone to the absolute exclusion 
of good works. Father, I pray now as we open up the only word that you've ever given to us, the only book you've ever given to us, the precious word of God, I pray you'd speak to our hearts this evening. Father, every single one of us that's here tonight or watching on the internet or will watch this in the future, you've called us to be your ambassadors. You've asked us to go into all the world and to preach the gospel and teach folks how they can come to Christ. Lord, that is such an important mission. It's the only mission that you've given us to accomplish. You made it very clear that the Lord came to seek and to save those who are lost. So, Father, I pray tonight that you'd uh, uh, get us, if you will, revive us, excite us about telling the only true message that you've given to us through your word, the Bible. Help us to get excited about it. Help us to get thrilled about it. And, Father, I pray that every single one of us this week, this coming week, in the next seven days, that we'd have uh, the courage and the tenacity and the excitement to say, I'm going to tell at least one person, maybe more, but at least one person, I'm going to share the greatest news ever given to mankind, that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. Father, uh, we ask that you move in our hearts tonight. Revive the saved and save any lost, please, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Take your Bibles, go to uh, Romans chapter 4. We'll read the first 12 verses together. Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham were justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? And we'll go to this Scripture in a few moments. Abraham did what? Say it with me. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now here is, these are just such important verses. Verse 4, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. In other words, if you want to try to work your way to heaven, the harder you try to work, the bigger debt you form. It's the total antithesis of what you're trying to accomplish. Verse 5, and this is a great verse. But to him who does not work, but does what? Believes on him, on Jesus Christ, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. His faith. Nothing else. That's it. Verse 6. Just as David, or looking back to the Old Testament, King David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man or woman to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only? Now when we're talking about circumcised, what group of people are we talking about? Jewish people. Does this blessedness then come upon the Jewish people only or the circumcision or upon the uncircumcised also? Who's the uncircumcised? Gentiles, right? Especially back in biblical times, Gentiles were not circumcised. Now, basically, every male born in, uh, in America usually is circumcised in the hospitals, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about back in biblical times when uh, the circumcised were considered the Jews and uncircumcised the Gentiles. Verse 10, how then was it accounted? Well, he was circumcised or uncircumcised. When did Abraham get his faith? Before or after the law? This is operative. Verse 11, And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still what? 
uncircumcised. So we're looking at Abraham, and we'll show you a chart in a little bit. I love charts. Some folks don't. I love them. Charts make it very clear. We'll look at when Abraham was saved by faith. Abraham was saved by what? Was Abraham saved by works? Was Abraham saved by following the law? Absolutely not. The law didn't exist when Abraham came to faith in the Lord. Verse 12, And the father of circumcision to those who are not only of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of our faith, which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. What's he saying here? Every single one of us that's here tonight, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, Abraham said, you're one of mine. That's a huge thing. Romans chapter 4 takes us all the way back to Genesis chapter 15, which we'll look at in just a moment, talking about the faith of Abraham. There's a whole lot of folks that say, well, Abraham followed the law, and that's how he got saved. Wrong. The law didn't even exist yet when Abraham came on the scene. Now, you all know this. Abraham had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel uh, basically became uh, the Hebrew children, the children of Israel, literally Israel or Jacob. What happened to those people? Where did they end up? You're down in Egypt. How long did they spend in Egypt? Some 400 plus years. Then an individual named Moses comes along. Wait a minute. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They haven't even gone to Mount Sinai yet where the law was given. And we're talking about this guy way over here, Abraham, who was saved by what? Faith. And somebody just said grace. Same concept. All right, so we want to look at that tonight. All right, let's go to uh, chapter 4, Romans, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? When we're talking about the flesh, we're talking about what someone accomplishes from a human standpoint. And the question that is being brought by the Apostle Paul, when we look at Abraham, what did he accomplish because he worked hard? What did he accomplish because he, if you will, uh, in our vernacular, uh, if we, you go to church and you read your Bible and, and you're a good person and you try your best, that's fleshly things. And God is bringing it out in this passage that Abraham's flesh didn't count for anything. Same with you, same with me. Same with every single person in Union Grove or Yorkville or Kansasville or Racine County, Milwaukee County, or uh, uh, Kenosha County. Our works count for what? They count for nothing before you come to Jesus Christ because not a single person gains favor by fleshly works. Verse 2, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to, to, to boast about. You say, well, yeah, you know, I'm a good person. I, 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 I just like uh, maybe Abraham, and uh, I, I really try hard. I really do good. Uh, uh, you know how many people think they never sin? Do <laughs> you know how many folks honestly think they never sin? There's a lot of them. There's a lot of folks. And, and, and that's why when we give the gospel, what's the first thing you got to start with? If, you don't, if you're not a sinner, why do you need a Savior? Right? I mean, uh, we're all sinners, but there's many people because they haven't killed somebody, because they haven't uh, uh, committed rape or adultery, they think, well, you know, I haven't done any of that stuff. To them, sin is something that only other people have done, not them. Now, that's not the majority. Most folks understand they messed up and they've, they've sinned. 
But here we look at it. He says, for Abraham, if he was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but that's not the case. Good works are basically, and I like that word, devalued by God. What shall we say then? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to what? Boast about. And God says, well, not, not in my book. Now, I like this verse because, and, and by the way, those of you that like to share the gospel with folks, this passage isn't a bad one to take folks to because it spells out exactly the problem. People trying to get to heaven by their good works, and this just shoots it down. I mean, it kills it. So here's what it says. Abraham was justified. Was he justified? Now, what does it mean to be justified? In a right standing. It's basically similar to the word righteousness. Do you gain a right standing with God? Do you gain a justification with God by what you've done? And God says, uh, uh, that's something if you want to boast about, it's not going to work with me. Now, what two verses do we use almost every single week that talk about this same thing? Well, we go to our Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. There's that word boast again. God is making it so clear about what Jesus Christ did for us that I'll put it in human terms. How dare you boast about what you've done? How dare you come before God and say, well, I'm a pretty good person. And God says, are you kidding me? That's really what he's saying. Now, it's, a, it's kind of a harsh way to say it, but, uh, but, but God is not interested in what we've done. Now, folks, let's think about this. Let's think about what Jesus did. We've heard it day and night, night and day. Every single time we come to the church, we talk about who Jesus is. And here's what happens. When you talk about something every single day, every single week, or at least here at church, and we come together and it's like, okay, yeah, we, we believe in Jesus. We trust him as our Savior. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. What happens? Familiarity breeds contempt. Status quo. Yeah, I remember, you know, we talk about every week and all of a sudden it's ho-hum, yawn. We get a status quo complacent attitude towards Christ. And folks, it happens probably to all of us. You say, Pastor, do you ever get uh, uh, complacent? Do you ever uh, forget about what an absolute thrill it should be when uh, Jesus Christ became your personal Savior. Do you ever, because you preach, I, folks, I preach a minimum six times a week. Four times here, radio, TV, all the other things, other venues. You say, well, after you preach that many times every single week, does it kind of sometimes just get into a rut? Oh, i got to guard against that. Because I literally, I mean, that's, that's what I do. Now, many of you do the same thing at work and at school and in different places, and, but all of a sudden, it, it loses its bam. It loses its punch. It loses its power. It, it, all of a sudden, you forget about, you better get on your face this week, Rich. You better get on your face. You better go in the backyard by yourself for a bit. You better fall on your face and say, oh, God, would you please help me this week? Don't let me get complacent. Don't let this become status quo. Don't lose the thrill of who Jesus is. Don't lose the thrill of, uh, of remembering that Jesus Christ, God's Son, God's very Son, left 
glory, left, if you will, the beautiful, beautiful mansion, if you will, if in human terms, the beautiful glory of heaven, the beautiful fellowship he had with the Father, to come down here as a humble servant of God, taking on human form, 30-some years on this earth, all of a sudden the end time comes for him to give his life. He suffers, he's spit upon, he's mistreated, and he goes to a cross He sheds his blood. He has all the sin of mankind placed on his back. Rich, don't forget what Jesus did. And folks, you can't forget what Jesus did either. Every single day, every time you say, oh man, I don't feel the power of God today. Well, get on your face and look for it. It's it's there. Remember that that poem, Footprints in the Sand? And... uh, Person's walking along the beach and uh, they're just beside themselves and life isn't going well. And it's like, well, I don't feel God's presence and I don't see God today. And God says, uh, would you take a look behind you? Take a look at the footprints in the sand. I've been with you the whole entire time. I never left you. I never left you out there to hang because God loves you, folks. And oh, how important it is every single day to remind ourselves, don't get complacent. Don't forget who Jesus is. Don't forget that the Holy Spirit lives within you. And folks, get on fire for God again. You know, you know what basic, simple revival is? Revival is when all of a sudden it just uh, becomes uh, uh, God's power once again, who Jesus is, being reminded of your love for Him. And all of a sudden, uh, when uh, you spend time with uh, the Lord, and all of a sudden uh, you're in the Word, and all uh, the things of the world begin to pass a bit. And uh, maybe you're listening to some music, maybe you're reading the scriptures, maybe you're praying, and all of a sudden maybe a few tears come to your eyes, and it's just thank God for who He is. Have you been there lately? Who's Jesus to you? For by grace you're saved, Christian. He said, uh, uh, Abraham has nothing to boast about. Why? Because he was saved by. What God did for him, he was justified by works. For by grace you've been saved, it's through faith, it's not of yourself, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any person should boast. Oh, how we love to boast about what we've done. And God says, listen, would you humble yourself, fall on your face, and uh, thank God for what he's done. It'll change your life. Go to Genesis chapter 15. How was Abraham justified by faith. So in Romans chapter 4 verse 3, and we'll be in Genesis 15 in just a moment, it says, what does the scripture say? Well, when we're talking about the scripture, what are we talking about when uh, Paul's referencing the scripture? What's he talking about? Basically, 99% of the time, we're looking at some Old Testament passage, which documents, by the way, that the Old Testament is just as much uh, God's word as the new. Our Jewish friends uh, sometimes uh, uh, when, especially if I'm, I'm talking with unsafe folks, and they're like, well, uh, um, and, and the Jewish people come up, well, they have their Bible, we have ours. Well, actually, that's not true. They have the Old Testament, which is the same Bible me and you use. It's called the Tanakh uh, to our Jewish folks. But uh, Genesis through Malachi, do we use that? Same thing that our, our Jewish friends use. So when you're talking to, to Jewish folks who aren't saved, can you use the Old Testament to point them to Christ? Of course, we know it, they know it. Well, we probably know it better than most of them because here's the, here's the weird thing. The Orthodox Jewish Christians, we've talked about this many times, 
they pretty much stay in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But in fact, they really don't stay even within the confines of those texts. They stay within what's called the Mishnah and the Talmud, which are basically extra-biblical commentaries that uh, the rabbis have written. So they very much don't get even into the book itself, but they very much get into, if you will, the commentaries. Well, the Bible doesn't go to the Mishnah or the Talmud, doesn't even mention them because they're extra-biblical, but what he says is when we're looking at the Scripture, at the Bible, what does it say? Well, let's go to Genesis 15, and we'll find out exactly what happened with Abraham. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. Now, of course, Abram is the same individual as Abraham. Uh, this was his name before it got changed to Abraham. By the way, uh, Genesis 15 is part of the Abrahamic covenant, which we get in Genesis 12. This is a reiteration of it. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Wouldn't you love God to come down and say that to you? But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. The neighbor said, look, you've given me no offspring. You've told me back in Genesis chapter 12 that I'd be the father of many nations. I don't even have a, a, a son yet. So what's Abraham doing? He's kind of in a very polite way complaining to God. He's like, man, you told me you were going to do this. And uh, Eliezer, this guy, not even my, I mean, he's not my boy. So what are you going to do, Lord? And that's really kind of the chat they're having. And Abram said, look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, what came to him? The word of the Lord. So God's speaking to him. This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your body shall be your heir. Then he brought him, or Abram, Abraham outside and said, Look now toward heaven. Count the stars, Abram, and see if you are able to number them. And here God said to him, So shall your descendants be. Now before we get to the punchline in verse 6, here's what's happening. Abraham's a little discouraged right now. He's getting up in age. He's getting past the time when uh, even back then, old Sarah was getting up towards that uh, 100 mark, as was Abraham. And he's like, God, you know, you promised that you're going to make me the father of many nations. You promised me the land of Israel, the promised land. You promised all these things, and I don't see it. <laughs> I'll stop there for a minute. Do you ever wonder if God is hiding something from you? It's like, Lord, I, I've been praying about this. I, I, I've been going in this direction. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to uh, uh, serve you. And all of a sudden, it's like, where's God? Where are you? Have you ever get there? Now, if you're, you're a Bible-believing Christian, and most of you here are involved in ministry in some way or another, and you're all faithful. I mean, come Sunday morning, Sunday night, all that good stuff. Sometimes, it's like, man, where'd God go? Abraham was saying the same thing. God, he's talking to him. And he's like, I, I think you're messing up, God. You're not doing what you said you would do. By the way, does God always do what he says he's going to do? Yes. He does. 
And God says, listen, sonny, sonny boy, 100-year-old guy, you just need to be a little patient here. It isn't time yet. Verse 6. What did he, well, let's go back to verse 5, and then we'll pop into verse 6. Then God, or he brought him outside and said, look, look, Abram, you see all those stars up there in the heavens? If you are able to number them. And he said to him, Abram, stop your whining. <laughs> I promise you this. That's how many descendants you're going to have. And all of a sudden, Abram said, oh, boy, God just spoke to me. He just promised me this. And all of a sudden, what did Abram do? Verse 6, and he what? He believed in the Lord, and he, God, accounted it to him for righteousness. This is the faith of Abraham when all of a sudden, after uh, the time that he'd been waiting for God to give him a son and it hadn't come yet, and he's disgruntled and he's discouraged, and it's like, oh God, I, I, I don't even know if I can trust you anymore. You promised me this. You told me this was going to happen, and I'm still without a son. And God says, come here, buddy. Let's go outside and have a look. Take a look. I promised you this. And guess what? It's coming. Folks, uh, don't ever doubt God. When God promises you something in Scripture, it's going to happen. You say, ah, sometimes I get discouraged and I wonder. Uh, 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 it talks about the joy of knowing Jesus and having the peace of God which passes all understanding. And I'm going through trials and tribulations and tough times. And, and it's just hard to trust God sometimes when I'm going through these things. And God says, you just be faithful. Just be faithful, Abram. I'll take care of you. I'll give you what I promised. And Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Romans chapter 4 says, look back at Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now we come down to the disastrous debt of works. Verse 4. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted of grace, but as debt. What is God saying here? When somebody, uh, you're dealing with them and you're trying to share the gospel with them and they're telling you, well, you know, I've, I've tried my best. I've done my best. I've, I, I know I mess up sometimes. And God says, listen, every single thing that you do trying to work your way to heaven, you're just creating more debt. You're going the wrong direction. You're taking away the grace of God. In other words, you're boasting in what you're doing instead of accepting what God did for you. You. Folks, this is a major, major, major piece of doctrine. This is why people, uh, Sunday school class this morning, see, if, see who remembers. According to the Barna group, what percentage of people are Christians, true Christians in America? 6%. That means 90, and I believe that's a, probably a good number. 94% of all people have rejected the gospel of the grace of God and are attempting to, either through some other religion or through a false narrative, Christianity, trying to work their way to a better place. <laughs> That's why I wrote this little booklet. Are you going to a better place? Because at every single funeral, every single person, according to the people at the funeral parlor, yep, thank God they're in a better place. Now, now how do you know that? How do you know they're in a better place? Well, if they've never trusted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they're not in a better place. 
If they were trusting in a denominational baptism to take them to heaven, they're not in a better place. If they're trusting in communion to take them to heaven, they're not in a better place. If they're trusting their good works to take them to heaven or some other uh, uh, God or way or uh, uh, methodology outside of trusting the true Jesus Christ of the Bible for salvation, they are not in heaven today. 6% of people would say, I've trusted in Jesus. Now, uh, I have talked with uh, one of, uh, an individual I told you about. We had a, a good chat a few weeks ago. It's like, well, who's the real Jesus of the Bible? Who's the real God of the Bible? Who is God? Well, you say, well, uh, uh, to the Muslims or the Islamic folks, it's Allah. To the Buddhists, it's Buddha. And all these people are, and we could go on and on and on in the different religions, and they all call this person God. Well, who is the God of the Bible? Who is, and I'll use the, I'm going to use the word, Kevin. Who is the word? Who is God? It's Jehovah. There is only one God, the creator of heaven and earth. It's not some other God. It's Jehovah God. And that's 100% correct. It's the God of the Bible. Only the God of the Bible made this statement in John 14, 6. I am, and we say it all the time, I am what? The, the, and the I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me, said Jesus Christ, the Son of Jehovah God, the only God. There is no other God. Go back to uh, uh, the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt have no other gods before me because there only is one. You take anything outside of the God of the Bible, the salvation, the redemption plan of the Bible, and it's going to fall into debt, not of salvation. Here's the key verse, Romans chapter 4, verse 5. But to him who does not work. You say, wait a minute. We've been, uh, and, and this is what you do when you go out and you're talking to folks about Christ. This is the hardest thing for people to get through their uh, uh, minds, if you will. But to him who does not work, you can't earn it. You know, what do you mean you can't earn it? How do you, our minds culturally are so invested in this but to him who does not work but believes on him on jesus christ who justifies the ungodly his faith is accounted for righteousness folks this is a great verse to use when you're talking to folks about christ and it's right there in romans which we many of us use what's called the romans road it's a great verse to throw in there galatians chapter 3 therefore the law the mosaic law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by what? Faith. There is nothing else. You cannot be justified by anything except faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. The tutor, the Mosaic Law, all it did was show people what? That they're sinners. That's all the law did. You can't be saved by following the law because nobody can follow it. Now, we showed this a few weeks ago. The Mosaic Law, what does it point to? It points to faith in Jesus. It's the only way. You say, brother, this is so simple. Well, if it's so simple, how come only 6% of Americans believe it? You know why? Because old Satan has got a good thing going. He's got preachers all across the country. He's got priests and preachers and teachers and schools and people that have been duped 
into buying into this idea that you're saved by what you do, and God says, not so. It's a lie. All right, let's go very quickly to the doctrinal concept. So creation took place in approximately 4,000 B.C. Again, most of you are familiar with this. Genesis chapter 5 and 11 are the two genealogies that are actually include the years in which their sons were born. When you look at those genealogies, we go back to approximately 4,000 B.C. when Adam was created along with Eve. So the world is only 6,000 years old. You say, well, what about evolution? All right, most of you know the verse, Exodus uh, chapter 20 and verse 12, in six literal days God created the heavens and the earth and all that in them is. Uh, it's not evolution. It's not theistic evolution. It's not the Big Bang. God made it very clear in six literal days He created the heavens and the earth. So, uh, and I know there's though many that disagree with that, but uh, uh, the, the Scriptures make it fairly clear when you look at the genealogies. All right. So approximately 4,000 B.C. is creation. Adam and Eve are created. In 1996, not A.D., but B.C., we have Abraham come on the scene. There is no law. The Mosaic law had not been given. And God takes Abraham out into an old field. He says, look up, look up uh, there, Abraham. Take a look at the stars. That's how many descendants you're going to have. And Abraham said, finally, he's like, okay, God, I believe you. And the Bible says in uh, Romans chapter 4 there, what does he say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's when he trusted, if you will, in uh, who God was. When was the law given? Well, we're looking ahead to 1445 B.C. when Moses took the children of Israel to Mount Sinai, and that's when the law was. So was Abraham's, could Abraham possibly have been saved by following the law? Absolutely not. It didn't even exist yet. That's very important. So when we look at God's progression through, uh, since throughout history or since 4000 B.C., it's always been by faith. Even when the law came about, the Mosaic Law, when Moses goes up and he gets the law and he brings it down, and the 613 commandments that were given, was any single person ever saved by following the law? Absolutely not. The law was a what? It was the schoolmaster. It was the tutor that pointed people to faith. So it's always been by faith. Folks, how are you saved today? By faith and faith alone. So that what? So that we don't boast. God said, I did it all for you. Don't boast about what you've done. I'm not interested. And you see, 90, 94% of people in our, in our world, in our country, specifically our country, 94% reject that. You say, wow, we got a lot of work to do, don't we? You say, Brother Rich, why do you want to expand to Wana? Because 94% of Americans don't believe what we just said. Why would you like to expand Vacation Bible School next year? Because 94% of everybody that in our community doesn't believe what we just said. How come you talk about, uh, uh, you talk about Sunday morning and the place is almost packed out? Why, why do we care if the church is packed out? It's hard to find a seat because 94% of everyone in our community believes that they're saved by a false gospel by doing what they think they should do. And God says, listen, do you have compassion for people? Do you love people? Do you care about them more than anything else? You say, well, no. First of all, I care about the Lord. The Bible tells us to love the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, strength, might, whatever. And to love Him first. 
Jesus said, hang on. Second piece to that is, you shall love what? Your neighbor as yourself, right? And God says 94% of people are headed to hell. Does that mean anything to us here at Union Grove Baptist Church? And I would say, yes, it does. And that's why uh, the church keeps growing. That's why uh, when visitors come, we, we try to show them the love of Christ. Why? Because we have a lost and dying world that's headed to an awful place called hell. And the uh, uh, only way that people can be saved is through faith. And that's why we reach out. So uh, when Abraham came on the scene, he was saved by faith apart from the law. Everyone has always been saved apart from the law. The only way that you can be saved is not by, and again, this is, it's uh, like, Pastor, we get this. We've heard it and heard it and heard it. All right, are you going to tell somebody about it? Who are you going to tell this week? 94% of everybody we walk into does not believe what we just heard here this evening. And it is not a liturgical thing from Unigrove Baptist Church. Where do we get it from, folks? Out of what book? Out of the Bible, out of the Scriptures. Paul said, hey, uh, uh, you want to know where truth comes? And Paul, The Apostle Paul says in Romans, he says, well, look back at Genesis. Look at the Scriptures. See what they say. It's there. It's in black and white. That's pretty good documentation. All right, let's uh, uh, hasten to the end here. Uh, the past delivery of God's imparted righteousness, Romans chapter 4, verse 8. He talks about King David, also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from what? Apart from works. Folks, should, okay, let's stop here for two seconds. Should we as God's people perform good works? Absolutely. Everything we do as God's people, we should be trying to please Him and work for Him. Those are the good works. But getting to the point that you were at to become saved and getting the 94% of Americans who are rejecting salvation by faith, they need to understand that their good works don't do anything. We need to understand as God's people that He wants us to do good things. That's really You see that dichotomy that, that we have to work with? And it's difficult. We're all talking about, hey, what can we do for Jesus? Can I work in Awana? Can I work in the nursery? Hey, Rebecca, Rebecca would, you, would you like folks to work in the nursery? Yes, you would. Uh, I, I love uh, 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 the nursery workers, and it's a tough and it's a hard, it's the hardest assignment. I, I mean, it is. It's a tough assignment. Uh, but we need folks that will go in the nursery and work. We need folks that will teach the little cubbies. We need the ones that will teach the Sparkies and the TNT group and uh, the young adults and uh, teach in Sunday school and the adult groups and all the many different ministries that we have here. And, and he says, listen, though, those works don't save you, but, boy, if you trusted Christ, it's sure fun to do them, isn't it? And uh, folks are exhausted tonight. Had one lady come up and uh, just say, man, you know, I'm just tired out. I had a couple of folks say that to me tonight. And you are tired out. And I said, well, uh, I'll fall asleep during the song. I won't wake you up tonight by yelling, but I probably talk too loud and everybody's awake. But uh, thank you so much for what you do for the cause of Christ. You say, well, if, if you're thanking me, how come you're telling me to work harder? That's just who I am, folks. <laughs> and we all got to work hard day and night, night and day. Six percent, six percent. 6% of the people in your neighborhood know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. 
That means 94% of the funerals we go to are for folks that don't know Christ and are heading to a Christless eternity. This world is messed up. It's a veil of tears. People wondering where they're going to spend eternity. 6% have the answer, and you're part of that 6% I trust this evening. Who are you going to bring to church next week? Who are you going to tell about the gospel next week? Folks, it's not about Union Grove Baptist Church. Do you know how exciting it is when you tell somebody the gospel and they come to Jesus when it finally hits? Many of you have had the privilege of telling folks the gospel and all of a sudden it's like, man, I've given it 50 times. Not one single person's responded positive. And all of a sudden one person says, Really? Really? I've been looking for that. Say, you ready to trust Jesus right now? And they're like, I am. Many times they bow their head, they want to pray and ask the Lord to come into their life, and the tears begin to flow. They're so thankful that all of a sudden Jesus means something to them. In a couple of weeks, uh, we were going to do it next week, but because uh, of the 4th, we won't. But in two weeks, we're going to have some salvation testimonies up here with folks that are going to join the church. I love those. We'll have quite a few coming up in the next few weeks. I love those because why? They tell what God has done in their life. He's changed them. Changed them. Now, Some get uh, uh, saved when they're young. Some as they get older. But don't you just love to hear about what Jesus did to, say, to, to change a heart? to change a soul. Does this blessedness then come upon the Jewish people only or the circumcised or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. Well, wait a minute. Was Abraham a Jew? Well, he's cons- and that, that's where God says, listen, Abraham was one of the patriarchs, if you will, the Jewish people. But Abraham, being the number one guy Gets, he's like, he's kind of in this transitional thing. He's he kind of a Jew, and he's kind of changing into this, if you will, uh, uh, the patriarch of the Jewish people. So how is Abraham saved? Well, how is it accounted to him? How did he get righteousness? When he was circumcised, if you will, as a Jew, or uncircumcised as a Gentile. And he's one of, I mean, he's like in that super weird category. And the Bible says, no, it wasn't when he became circumcised. It wasn't because of the law. He trusted Christ before the law came. Finally, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. The might be the father of all those believe. Look in the mirror. He's talking about us too. Though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. Finally, and the Father of circumcision to those who are not only uh, who are who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Folks, it's all about the gospel. I want to encourage you, as the six percent. Probably shouldn't go here, but I'm going to. Anybody know what the one percenters are? <laughs> so I was in uh, the sheriff's office, of course, for some 32 years. And every time the Harley uh, uh, guys would come into town, and I love Harleys, by the way, I, I do, but uh, we had what was called the one percenters would show up. 
You say, what's the one percenters talking about? Well, we're talking about the bad dude motorcycle gangs. We're talking about the Hells Angels and uh, all the rest of them. That one you probably have heard of. And uh, when the one percenters came in, everybody would uh, be on top alert. When they'd come riding through Milwaukee area, and, uh, we'd, uh, I mean, we'd have folks posted everywhere keeping an eye on them because you expected trouble. And if they came into a rival motorcycle gang, it was never good have problems. Well, I'm not talking about the one percent or motorcycle gang. I'm talking about the six percent of God's people. It's kind of interesting, but if you follow the news, the six percenters are now becoming the outlaws in this country. We saw a great victory in Roe versus Wade this week. And as we talked about this morning, our Wisconsin government, our Wisconsin law enforcement will still allow abortions to take place without prosecution. Some states will not be in that liberal camp. You say, what's really going to change the tide for America? It's when the six percenter club gets up and starts pushing around the 94 percent in a good way. You see, the 1% motorcycle clubs are feared by everyone. 1%. They get everybody's attention. They're feared. Now you say, well, do you want the 6% of Christians to be feared? No, not in any way, shape, manner, or form. But I want the 6%, if you will, those of us that know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, we need to go out. Yes, they need to know who you are. Yes, they need to know the message that you carry. Yes, they need to see the Bibles that we embrace every single Sunday and every day during the week. Can I just ask you, are you going to put your colors on tonight? You say, well, what do you mean by colors? Well, if you, those of you that understand motorcycle gangs... You know those nice black leather coats that you see on those uh, motorcycles? What's on the back of those black jackets? What's on the back? Come on. Yells. Some of you know. Where do, where do they, where do, where's the sign of what gang they belong to? It's on their back. Big living color. And until you're a full-fledged member of the gang, those colors, if you will, that sign doesn't go on your back. But when you get that jacket with your colors on it all of a sudden you're a, you're a big deal in the game God said listen Christian we don't want to by no means am I saying we should join a motorcycle gang it's not the point what I'm saying is 6% of us are already part of God's group if you will what are we doing as a 6% to reach America with the gospel. We're in a post-Christian era, which means the gospel is not having the effect it used to have. You say, well, why is the gospel not as effective today as it was two generations ago? Because the church is silent. Isn't it amazing that when God's people 
go out into the streets, the highways, and the byways and begin to talk about Jesus, that all of a sudden it's amazing that people all of a sudden start showing up and people start getting saved. And young people come to Awana and young people come to VBS. Folks come to the services. How does it happen? When we open our mouth. Six percenters, let's get busy for God. What do you say? Thank you so much for being here. I know you're here. I know you will love God. I know you want to do right. And I also know that the hardest thing for God's people is to open our mouth and to share the gospel with other people. But folks, 6%, 6%, that's it. The good news is you got 94% of the people to go talk to. You can almost, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. You can hardly miss. 94% of people need to hear what you got to say. Are you willing to do it? Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you. The gospel is so simple that even a child can understand it. Father, old Satan, the demonic army has done everything they can to try and silence God's people. And Lord, I pray that we become vocal once again. I pray that as much as we ranted and raved about overturning Roe v. Wade, that we turn that same energy into telling folks the gospel. I pray that every social uh, cause that the church of God has risen up to uh, uh, either fight or defend, that, Lord, you would help us now to return back to the gospel, which is the only thing that will change hearts. Father, thank you for those that are here tonight. I pray that you'd move in all of our hearts. I pray that right now before we close, that every single person here right now, that you'd think about one person, one person, just one person in your neighborhood, one person that you go to school with, one person that you go to work with, one person maybe who lives in your house, one person maybe that's a relative of yours, one person that you will promise to pray for this week, one person that you'll make every effort in kindness and in love to share the gospel with this week. Folks, we're 6%, 94% of the world is headed for a Christless eternity. What do you say we do our part? What do you say we, we, we kick in this week and do what we can for the cause of Christ? While you're there, while you're seated, while you're thinking, who's that person? You got that person down in your mind? Who's it going to be? Would you ask God to help you? You say, I'm scared. I don't know. I'm, I'm scared. I don't know if I can do it. And God says, you can do it. You can do it. You're one of the 6%. You're one of those that know Jesus Christ, and we have a message to tell. Father, give us the strength. Give us the courage. Help us to share the greatest news ever given to mankind, that Jesus Christ came into this world to save